after I went backstage and was waiting for communion and offering to finish, uh, I could hear, uh, not only was being set out here, but I could hear birds uh, in the trees uh, back behind the church. And I thought, man, isn't it nice to have the sun shining and uh, to hear birds and not thunder or see lightning? Not that uh, the rain is not good and it, we don't need it sometimes, but I just feel like it has been a cycle of rain, 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 a little bit of sun, rain, 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 a little bit of sun, rain, 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 a little bit of sun. And so uh, it just, it brought a lot of joy uh, to me uh, to sit back there and just hear those birds in addition to what was being said uh, out here. I'm thinking of joy for a moment. I want to ask you a couple questions. They're not trick questions. Uh, they're, they're, they're not, uh, there's no agenda. I just want you to think about what is it that brings you joy? What is it? That brings you joy. Maybe another way to ask the question is, uh, what do you enjoy? Just, just think about that for a moment. Uh, chances are, as you think about what you enjoy, as you think about what brings you joy, there are probably faces that are coming to mind. Maybe there are even places that are coming to mind. There are certain circumstances. Uh, maybe there are certain things that you have that help bring you joy. Oftentimes, when we talk about joy and what, what brings us joy, or how we experience joy, where we find enjoyment in life, it comes down to these three, uh, people, things, and circumstances. If we have the right people, if we possess the right things, if the circumstances in our life are right, then, then we can have joy. But, but, the, but the converse or the inverse of that happens too, Right? If we don't have the right people, then it's harder to have joy. If we don't have the right things, if something's missing, it's harder to have joy. If we don't have the right circumstances, and by circumstances, I think we can put in the box of circumstances, our health, safety, uh, security, you can put your career in, in circumstances, maybe even the weather can be in circumstances, but if we don't have the right people, the right things, the right circumstances, then, then oftentimes we struggle to have joy. joy. Joy feels almost like this oil that we try to hold in our hands and it just seeps through. It, it, it's so elusive. What happens to our joy when we don't have the right people, the right things, or the right circumstances? I, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Uh, you, you have taken a day, uh, maybe it's a weekend, maybe it's a week. And, and you're going to do what you enjoy. So just think about that. What, what, what is it going to look like? Chances are you're already thinking of people. Who are, the, who are the people that are there? If you're an introvert, maybe you're just visualizing your cat and you alone on the couch. Uh, maybe you're in a boat by yourself. But, but for people that are, are more extroverted, who, who, who like being around people, then, then, then you're probably imagining certain people that are there. So, so who's there on your day, in your, on your night, on your weekend, on, on, on your week? Who, who, who's with you? Who are those people? Well, what are the circumstances? What things are there? Maybe, maybe you're envisioning, if you're a person that loves the water, you're on a boat. The right people are, are sitting around you. There's a fishing pole in your hand. There's a thing. The, the, the water is, is completely calm. The fish are biting. Those are circumstances. Maybe you're like, man, I'm way more simple than that. Like, I'm envisioning my comfy chair Netflix brought up my favorite show, great cup of coffee, tea, sweet, unsweet, whatever is your, is your fancy, and, and, and that's what you're envisioning. 
Maybe it's a golf course. Maybe the fairways are cut perfect and they're green and, 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 and the greens are just immaculate and, and, and you're hitting every shot just straight. That takes a lot of imagination for me, <laughs> all right? But there's circumstances, right? You're probably thinking people, things, circumstances. So, so imagine that day. We've all done that. Not that we've just done it right now, but we've all marked out a, a day on our calendar, an evening on our calendar, a weekend on our calendar, a vacation or something for a week. And, and when that moment arrived, we had all these ideas about how we were going to enjoy it. And then what happened? The people. They happened. They were grumpy. They were moody. They cried, they complained, they grumbled, and it's like, oh man, where's the joy? Things broke, like the motor wouldn't start on the boat. The golf club wouldn't hit the ball straight because it's always the club's fault. The circumstances weren't right, it, it rained. And it rained, or the water was too rough, or the temperature was too cool, or it was too warm, or... Or, or, or maybe something tragic had happened in your life prior to that. And so when the right people and the right things and the right circumstances aren't there, we struggle. We struggle to find joy. But what if we could lay hold of a joy that transcended people and things and circumstances? What if we could lay hold of a joy that wasn't dependent upon others and wasn't dependent upon what we had and, and wasn't dependent upon what was happening around us? What if we could have that kind of joy? I think all of us as people would be like, yep, give me some, please. We seem hardwired for joy. I, I have been in a third world environments on three different continents in the last 20 years. And there's something universal to our quest and our hunger for joy. Now, sometimes the situations in people's lives outside of their control, whether it's systemic poverty, injustice, corruption, they, they, they repress or make joy seem impossible. But as you start having conversations with people, um, I was in a very poor area of South Africa. Uh, I was in an impoverished area of China. Uh, I was in Haiti last year. And you start peeling back the layers in conversation and people are still looking for joy. So how, how do we get that kind of joy? So we're going to look at over the next five weeks, uh, we're going to journey through the, the New Testament letter of Philippians. And we're going to try to uncover what is necessary for enjoying life. And enjoying life that is not dependent upon people, things, or circumstances. A joy that all of us can possess. And it's right there in this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. Now, some of you may be asking, why, why are we going to go to an ancient letter uh, written somewhere around 60 to 62 AD for instructions on joy? Surely there's some magazine I can grab that can help me out. Maybe it can give me a little more current advice. Well, here's why we go to a letter. We go to a letter because the truth that Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul sometimes, the truth that's communicated is not just communicated to this particular people in this particular place. That's where it starts. But that truth is rooted in the unchanging realities of God and his kingdom. And the truths that he communicates to the Philippians, even though we're not in Philippi around 60, 62 AD, they, they still mean something to us. We go to Philippians for another reason. Because this really short letter, the, the letter, by the way, in the NIV, the, the newest edition of the NIV, it's what I read from each week, it's 2,280 words long. For those of you that just finished your high school, uh, school year or college, it's about the size of a, of a small average paper uh, in the classroom. That, that's how long Philippians is. 
In fact, most of my sermons, when I write them before I practice them as God's working them over in my heart, they're about 2,700 words. So, so Philippians is shorter uh, than one of my messages. And some of you are like, yeah, why don't you just read it? Like that'll be enough for us, right? <laughs> but that letter, what's significant about it is it was thought and then spoken and then penned in prison. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Paul doesn't have the right people. He doesn't have the right things. He doesn't have the right circumstances by our estimation. But yet again and again and again, he writes about the joy that not only he possesses, but the joy that can be had by the Philippians who themselves are being oppressed. They, they, they live in this uh, colony in Macedonia. Uh, there, there's a presence of Roman authority there. Uh, it wasn't uncommon to hear Caesar declared as Lord. And here were people who declared Christ as Lord. Imagine what that does to your business. Uh, people aren't in the habit of, of coming and shopping at your storefront uh, if, if, if you're not proclaiming Caesar as Lord and instead you're proclaiming some uh, Jewish man that lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away. But Paul writes from a place of joy and encourages joy in people, even as he's imprisoned. Again, Paul didn't have the right circumstances. But Paul will write uh, to another church that by this point in his life, he has been flogged multiple times. He's been beaten multiple times. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. And, and now he's in prison. He's, he's under house arrest. Now, don't think of it like I mean, major iron bars. Chances are he is in chains. Four times in chapter 1, verses 17, 13, 14, and I forget the other off the top of my head, he writes that he is in chains. Um, this is before ankle bracelets. Some of you have had experience with those. Before ankle bracelets in, 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 in Roman society, then you often got to be chained and shackled uh, to, to a Roman guard. It acted like a little bit of a leash. It gave you a little bit of freedom, but you still couldn't leave. So he's, 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 he's imprisoned. He's detained. It's not the right circumstances. He doesn't have the right things. Uh, this is the letter that Paul will write those famous words, I've learned what it means to be hungry or to be well-fed. I know what it means to live in plenty or in want. He says, I've learned the secret of being content, that I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. He he writes those words in this letter. He doesn't have the right things right now. In fact, what what precipitates this letter is that Paul has had a man from Philippi come. His name is Epaphroditus. And, And Epaphroditus has brought a gift, an offering, brought things for Paul because Paul's situation was lacking. He didn't have the things. And yet he still has joy. The Philippians didn't have the things, but he wants them to have joy. Um, Maybe where it gets a little blurry is we could make the case that he he had maybe some of the right people. When we think of the right people who you probably imagined in your perfect day of enjoying life, likely involves some close family members, some really close friends. Uh, Some of us look and we say if we just had that Wife, that husband, that fiance, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that we would have joy. If we just had a child or another child, or if we could just have that adoption go through, if, if we could just finish this fostering class, then, then we, would, we would have joy. Uh, some of us think if we just had the right people still living, we would have joy. Um, Paul didn't have those types of things when it comes to people. 
They did have Timothy. We're going to see in just a moment in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us that the letter comes from he and Timothy. Now, Paul uses the, the first person voice throughout the letter. Like, we know that Paul is writing this, but what he's telling us is that Timothy's there with him, and everything that he's saying, like, Timothy's nodding his head at, right? And maybe Timothy's even actually pitting the words that, that Paul is saying in that moment. So he has Timothy, he has this uh, man who he'll say in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is a true son or true child in the faith. So there's a close relationship. So you can maybe make the case that he's got some of the right people. But here's what we also know. If you look at those letters to Timothy that come a little bit later, uh, he writes about those that have deserted him. Uh, these, these people who said, Paul, we're going to stick with you to the end. And, and they've abandoned him. So I seem to think he probably doesn't have the right people. Even given the right people, we know he doesn't have the right things and the right circumstances, but yet he has joy. And he writes to them to help them have joy. And so our hope is over the next five weeks, how can we learn to have this joy that's not dependent upon people and things and circumstances? It's interesting. I, I, I hear people often say that, that joy is the dominant theme of Philippians and I've come to understand that I think that that's not true. Joy is a theme in Philippians, but the dominant theme of Philippians is not joy, it's the gospel. In this 2,280 word letter in our English Bible, 1,600 and some in the original Greek language, the word gospel is mentioned more in this letter than any other letter that Paul writes. Any other letter he writes. Romans is longer. We have Galatians, we have Ephesians, we have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we, we have the personal letters to Timothy and to Titus, and more than in any other letter, Philippians contains the word gospel again and again and again and again. So what is the gospel? Again, it's one of those terms I tell you is a pregnant term. It's full of all kinds of life. It, it, it speaks of this proclamation of good news, but not just any good news. It's the good news of who Jesus is, that he's God's son, and God sent him to earth for you and I to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved, to reign and conquer the grave so that we could live and conquer the grave and we could reign with God and we could live forever. That's the gospel, that there's hope for you no matter how broken your life is, no matter how destitute you are, no matter how sinful you've been, that God can forgive and God can restore through Jesus. That's the gospel. And, and, and Paul's life is anchored in that. And it's from the gospel that the other themes of Philippians flow uh, and the one we're going to focus on for the next several weeks is, is joy. So how can we have joy even if we don't have the right people, the right things, the right circumstances? So here we are, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11 uh, this morning. We're going to read them all to start with and then just dive back in for some observations. Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
In fact, God can testify how, long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, just even that initial reading, if you're listening to those words, you can tell that Paul thinks favorably of the Philippians, can't you? I thank God for you. There's even some evidence here that, that, that I don't want to bore you with, so I'll just give you just a brief preview. Like, verses 3 uh, through 9 are one continuous sentence in the original language. Like, Paul is so excited about the Philippians, he can't stop writing. Like, it's a giant run-on. If you're a grammar nerd, like, you're like, Paul, you got to figure out where the commas and periods go. But he is just, he's just writing because he's so excited about these people, and he thanks God for them. What we see in verses 1 through 11 is this genuine appreciation for the people in Philippi. Now, you can go back to when this relationship began, Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul receives, I think he's in Troas at that time, he receives this vision of a man in Macedonia. Uh, People are suffering there, and the the man from Macedonia in this vision is saying, you've got to come. And so what does Paul do? Uh, Paul leaves, he departs, and he goes to this capital city in Macedonia of Philippi. And when he gets to Philippi, one of the first things he does, he, he, he goes down to the river. And there's Lydia, who lives in a van down by the river. Um, no, not really. That's Chris Farley. Anyway, but Lydia's down by the river. She's, she's, a, she's a dealer in fine purple cloth, and uh, she, she's with some friends, and they, they share the gospel with her. And then time passes, and uh, they, they, they see he, he and Silas, this girl in the streets who's possessed by a demon, and uh, there are some men who are taking advantage of that. And so they call the demon out so she can encounter the truth of who Christ is, and she's freed. And that gets them in jail, and it's in Philippi on this first visit, part of what we call Paul's second missionary journey, uh, that a jailer comes to know Jesus. It's a remarkable start to this church. He has such an affinity for them. He deeply appreciates them. And now here they have, they've sent a gift to him to help him in his time of need. There's deep appreciation for the Philippians. And that deep appreciation, you know what it gives way to? Joy. A joy not dependent upon people or things or circumstances. He finds joy in appreciating and recognizing the value that's present in the Philippian believers. Appreciation comes from a late Latin word that means to estimate the quality of something. In fact, we define appreciation as recognizing, it's the recognition of the importance or value of something. And so we talk about notes of appreciation. What do we do in those? We recognize the value or the significance of what someone has done for us or that's present in someone who we care about. Uh, we, we talk about the value of a, a home or a classic automobile, appreciating in value. It's a recognition of, of, a, of a growth and the estimation of the quality and the value of that thing. That's appreciation. And, and, and Paul appreciates. He sees the value in who the Philippians are. I would submit to you that we live in a culture that is in crisis when it comes to Appreciation. 
We live in a culture that's hypercritical and we train our eyes to see what people are lacking rather than the value and the significance that they already possess. You may say, Craig, what makes you state that case? I think the prevalence of the ever-increasing multitude of appreciation days confirms that we struggle with appreciation. We live in a culture where appreciation is depreciating. It's diminishing in value, valuing others. And so what do we do? We recognize on one hand that teachers and mothers and fathers and grandparents and we have pastor appreciation day, we have administrative assistance appreciation, we have law enforcement appreciation, we have nurses appreciation. Some people get days, some people get weeks, some people get months. And we say we have to appreciate them. Why? Because we recognize that those people bring value, they bring significance. But what have we also recognized? That so often we fail to see the value in those people. Would we need a day to appreciate teachers or a week to appreciate teachers if parents and students genuinely saw the importance and the value that our teachers bring and and made sure they let them know of the value and the significance that they bring? No, (laughs) because people would feel appreciated. But because we don't, it's like, hey, we need to appreciate these people. If children were regularly looking back and saying, wow, here's the significance and the value of my mother or my father, and and they were reminding their mothers and their fathers all the time, and this is the value that you bring, would we need a day for it? No. (laughs) But, But we struggle with appreciation. And Paul shows us in these first few words what it takes to be a people who appreciate. Because if we can appreciate people genuinely, We'll find a joy that transcends people and things and circumstances. In fact, Paul shares that he experiences joy from it. Uh, Verse 4, Philippians 1 says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? Joy. Joy. It's a byproduct of appreciation. And it's not dependent upon people, things, and circumstances. So so I just want to dive into this, basically this introduction to this letter to the Philippians and, and, and show how Paul appreciated them, what it took to appreciate them. And I think there's some lessons we can take home from that. The, the first thing I want you to see is that to truly appreciate the value that's in somebody else, to recognize it, it begins with the right posture. In, in Philippians 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, here's what we read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the majority of Paul's letters, he begins his introduction by stating that he is an apostle. It's a term that uh, connotes authority. Uh, It was a way that Paul could write these words of instruction to, to other believers and he could say, remember God has set me apart. God has called me. I'm, I'm his messenger. It was a way of saying, I have authority to tell you what I'm about to tell you, so you better listen. But in Philippians, he doesn't begin by saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. How does he refer to himself in Timothy? Anybody? What does it say? Servants. Maybe your Bible says slaves. That's powerful. Well, we know that in our New Testament, uh, there are six different Greek words that are translated servant or slave. Uh, this one is the word doulos. 
It's the, the most uh, restrictive form of servitude. And that's why some versions choose slave because it's probably a better picture. But what a doulos was, was someone who had no rights, uh, no privileges. They could only do, they were bound to what their master told them to do. And so Paul and Timothy say, uh, we, 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 have, we have no privileges. We have no rights apart from what Jesus gives us. He is our master. He owns us. He, he dictates our life. We look to him. He tells us what to do. He tells us where to go. He tells us how to live. He is our master. That's interesting because what it shows us is that Paul has this right understanding of himself. That's what humility really is. See, the posture of appreciation is humility. Humility is this right understanding of myself in light of who God is and and who he's created me to be. And what Paul understands is that apart from Christ, I'm nothing. I have no rights, no privileges. I am his. And when he can understand that his life is under the sole authority of Jesus Christ, that he's not his own authority, that he doesn't control his own destiny, that it it is in the hands of Jesus, then he's free to have the right understanding of other people. So he humbly sees himself that he is nothing apart from Jesus. He is a slave to Christ. But with that right understanding of himself, look at how he views the Philippians. To all God's holy people. Again, maybe your version says saints. Um, I like what the NIV has done here, not using the word saints, because for us, uh, saints brings to mind probably some improper uh, elevation of people throughout history. Um, In fact, there are some people in our world who pray to other people who they would call saints. Uh, that was never God's intent. There are people who live holy lives, and, and Paul recognizes that in the Philippians, that they are living these lives that are set apart. They're living lives that honor God. And so he, he, he understands his position, his posture, and that leads him to this perspective to say, you know what? I recognize what God's doing in you. He sees himself rightly, and then he can see them rightly. Oh, God's using you. God's doing something in you. If we want to appreciate other people and find that joy, it starts by uh, having the right posture before our God. It starts with humility. We have to have a right understanding of ourself to view other people the right way. So just let me ask the question, do you view yourself as being enslaved to Jesus? It's a hard question, isn't it? Would you be able to say along with Paul and Timothy that you have no rights no privileges apart from what your master has given you. That your life is his. If you can get there, that right perspective allows you to see everyone differently. And suddenly you can begin to see the good that God's doing in the lives of other people. But appreciation starts with the right posture. So what are some of the particulars of appreciation that we see here? Verses 3 through 8. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So what are the particular things that, that Paul values? What are the particular areas that he values in the Philippians? Um, the first is their partnership. 
Here's the question that Paul answers. What is God doing through you? When he goes to recognize your significance, he asks the question, what is God doing through you? And so he recognizes their partnership in the gospel. He looks back at their lives and he says, well, here are all the ways that you're, you're helping advance the kingdom of God. This is how God is using you, the work he's doing through you. Uh, we don't have time for this, but what's really cool is this word partnership is, is the Greek word koinonia. It's what we often translate fellowship. You see, for years, we, we, we've used the word fellowship haphazardly. We, we have fellowship halls where, where believers hang out. We, we, we go and we watch a ball game, and that's fellowship. But true fellowship is this mutual partnering to advance the ways of God in this world. Together, you're advancing his kingdom. And so what does Paul do? He says, you know what? I see what God's doing in you. I see what he's doing through you. Let me tell you what I see God doing through you. And he appreciates them. He answers the second question. That's what's God doing in you? Look look what he says at the end of um, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He tells them, I see God doing something in you. And and here's where it gets really fun for me. Because I can imagine Paul incarcerated, Timothy by his side. And he's thinking back and he's remembering Lydia. uh, Down at the river, all of her friends. And her coming to know him. And then what transpires? Acts 16.40, we find Paul and Silas leave prison and he goes to Lydia's house and he encourages the brothers and sisters there. What's happened in the 10, 12 years since? What is he thinking about Lydia? What is he thinking about all the people that she's helped see Christ through her business? He's probably visualizing this young girl who's grown up to be a young woman now who was freed from demon possession. What has he seen God do in her? What are the changes that have taken place in her life? And that jailer, the one that was about to kill himself, like what's happened in his family now? Because we learned in Acts chapter 16 that, that his whole household came to follow Jesus that night. And so he can look back on these 10 years and he can see the impact of this jailer in the community of Philippi. And, and, and the same goes for believer after believer after believer in Philippi. And so he's just saying, listen, I see what God's done in you. And what other question does he ask? What do you mean to me? He shares with them what they have meant to him personally. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. I have you in my heart. God can testify. Verse 8, how I long for all of you with an affection of Christ Jesus. He, He tells these believers what they mean to him. So he says, what is God doing through you? What is God doing in you? And and what do you mean to me? And as he answers those questions and he, he, he writes this letter to them, he recognizes the value and the significance in them. There's one other particular of appreciation I see here is that he did it always. I, I love verse 4 because it says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray, all of my prayers, always praying. Paul regularly is recognizing the value and the significance in the Philippians. If you have the right posture before God, if you are humble and you understand your place in his kingdom and you can begin recognizing in other people, here's what I would encourage you to do. Appreciate someone. Ask these questions. What is God doing through them? What is God doing in them? What do they mean to me? 
what would happen if we would just tell people more frequently, if we would write more notes and we would tell people, here's what I see God doing through you. Here's what I've seen God do in you. Here's, here's what you mean to me. I mean, if I did a poll right now, I could have 100% accuracy. If I said, how many people like to be appreciated? Everyone would raise their hand. What would it feel like for you to have someone tell you, this is what I see God doing through you. This is what I see God doing in you. This is what you mean to me. It would boost not only uh, how you feel about yourself, it would give you joy, but when you do that for someone else, it gives you a joy that transcends the right people, the right things, and the right circumstances. And what if we were committed to doing it again and again and again and again and again? Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do at the end of this message is I want you to think of at least one person. If you're an overachiever, go for five. One person you can start with by answering that question, what is God doing through you? What do I see God doing in you? Here's what you mean to me. And just let them know. Write them a note. Give them a phone call. Here's what I'm going to ask you not to do. Don't text them. Because that is the least personal of those three means of communication. They want to hear your voice or they want to see your handwriting. It's not enough to have the posture. We've analyzed kind of the particulars. But Paul wants this appreciation to go on, perpetuate. For the I needed another P word. Uh, Perpetuate the appreciation. Verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound, not just now, but more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And it's my prayer. You may be able to discern what is best. And it's my prayer that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And it's my prayer that you'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God Paul says, this is what I see in you, but I want to see more. I want to see God continue to work in you. And so what I would encourage you to do, if you want to learn this language of appreciation, is not just recognize the value that's already present in someone, but start praying for them, that God would continue to work in them and do for them. And you'd be amazed by how God opened your eyes to so many other things he's already doing in them and through them. Our world is starved for appreciation. Yet appreciation leads to transcendent joy. Our vision at Lebanon Christian Church is to be an outpost of hope for people who are looking for clarity of life's purpose, health in their relationships, and freedom from addiction. I hope you can realize and recognize that appreciation intersects with all of those. When someone sees how much they're valued, their heart is more open to seeing God's purpose for their life. When husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and friends and coworkers genuinely appreciate one another, guess what happens to the the level of health in your relationships? It increases. Well, Well, this doesn't go for every person who's struggling with addiction. So many people have found themselves buried in a bottle Submitting to prick after prick of a needle because an absolute sense of despair. And for some of them, they grew up in homes and they hung out with people who never once recognized the value in their life. And now they battle. Appreciation brings joy. 
My challenge to us as Lebanon Christian Church, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, that you would be a person who changes that tide. Stop conforming to culture. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop looking at the things where people fall short and start looking for the value that's already present in them and speak it to them and write it to them. And you will be amazed at only the joy that comes to your life, but the joy that comes to theirs. Now, now what if they're not a follower of Jesus? Here's what I found. Um, You just tweak the exercise a little bit, and you can find that it actually provides you opportunities to show them the creator that made them. The question, what is God doing through you? Now, while that person may not be a follower of Jesus, they might not recognize that, that, that they might not have the spirit doing great things through them. Here's what Genesis tells us, that God created us male and female. He created us in the image of God. So what does that mean? It means that every man and woman who walks this earth has some of the image of God impressed upon them. And so what we can do is when we see something that reflects the character of the God that we know they don't know yet, we can affirm that in them. I, I do this at funerals all the time. When, when, when I have to do the funeral for someone who the family doesn't think follow Jesus, what I'll do is I'll look into their life as I listen to the family. I'll hear the things they say about them. Maybe they were generous. And I'll make a connection in the message to say, listen, so-and-so reflected their creator in their generosity. I do that with people too. If if we have neighbors that don't follow Jesus, then I'll try at times, or family members, I'll try to say, hey, listen, when I see this in you, I see God. They're like, what? I don't even believe in him. You say that enough though, and it builds enough bridges where you have a chance to help someone see that God's image is impressed all over their life. It's a great way to have an invitation to, to share the gospel with someone. So here's your homework. I'd encourage you to go to a store and buy yourself a box of, of thank you notes, blank notes. I'd encourage you to grab just one if you only want to write to one, but maybe we can start a trend and, and we can start writing and letting people know, this is what I see God doing through you and in you. And this is what you mean to me. And maybe as person after person in this place and beyond these walls is appreciated, we start seeing a change. We start seeing joy, not elusive, but the substance of it in our lives. I told you that the gospel lies beneath everything in this letter. And that's where I want to end is with this good news of Jesus. Because here's what I've learned. Is that you cannot truly appreciate another person until you recognize the value and the worth in what Jesus has done for you. You have to appreciate him. And so if you are in this room, if you are listening, if you're watching on Facebook Live, if you have never accepted the value of who Jesus is, that that he is God's son sent to earth to show us how to live this human life, not only to show us how to live this human life, but to take upon himself the punishment that humans deserve because of our sin and brokenness. To conquer that sin and brokenness, to rise victoriously from the grave, to give you the opportunity that if you would just believe in him, he would enter you with his spirit and he would help you live this life that he lived and give you hope that's beyond all despair. If you would appreciate that and you would accept that, if you would believe that, then it'll be the start of you seeing that in other people and appreciating other people. But it starts there. 
And so if you've never made that decision, you have to reach out to someone, whether it's coming forward at the end of our worship experience and, and allowing us to talk with you and pray with you, whether it's filling out a connection card and putting it in a white basket at the back of the room. Maybe it's talking to someone who invited you. Maybe it's sending an email later in the week. You need to talk with someone because you will not be able to appreciate others, experience full life-changing joy apart from Jesus and what he's already done for you and living in that reality. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this brilliant and beautiful letter. God, help us to learn through it how to truly find joy in life and to enjoy life. God, I pray that you would drive us to live lives of appreciation for you and for one another. You enable us to see those things that our world struggles to see in other people and that we would speak it, that we would write it, that we would affirm it, and that we would see joy take over in a world desperately hungering for it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.